please open with me to Colossians 1, 3 through 8. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of, all, of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this week we obviously celebrated the national holiday of Thanksgiving. The idea, right, is a day that we set aside to give thanks. And, and each year this holiday leads me to ask a question of myself that I want to ask us collectively this morning. The question is this, how many of us, if we're really being honest with ourselves, would consider ourselves to be thankful people, truly thankful? And let me, let me push that beyond maybe what you would think of yourself. If you were to ask those closest to you, those who know you well, how would you describe me in a few words? Would one of the words they use be thankful? He just seems like a thankful person. And in general, when all is said and done, Sally is a thankful woman. Let's push this a little bit further, and I'll tell you up front, I'm more than a little convicted in doing so. But how about this question? When we are thankful, is our thankfulness God-focused? And even if we say yes to that, is our thankfulness God-focused but most typically me-centered, right? Is it typically about me, or am I regularly giving thanks to God for His glorious work in the lives of others, in the lives of brothers and sisters in Christ? Here's what I mean. As, as redeemed people, and again, I'm not assuming everybody in this room is redeemed, but we are a local church, so certainly our members, we take a regenerate membership seriously. So as redeemed people, we have so much to be thankful for, don't we? Right? No matter what's going on in our lives, I can always say, I am thankful to God that I don't get what I deserve. I'm thankful to God for my salvation and for those of us with believing children. No matter what's going on, we can always say, I am so thankful for the salvation of my kids. I am thankful to God for the way that he's blessed my family. I'm thankful to God for the way that he takes care of me and mine. And all that's good. Oh, that's good. We absolutely should be thankful for these things, shouldn't we? The weakness in this, however, is if our thankfulness stops there. That's sort of the period, and it stops See, this morning, we're going to step away from our Ephesians series and consider a wonderful passage that gets at this idea of thanksgiving 
in the book of Colossians. And here we're going to see the inspired writer model for us a thankfulness to God that goes beyond what he's doing in his own life. And in this text, we're going to see the Apostle Paul's overwhelming gratefulness to Christ for his work in the lives of a bunch of people he's never even met. And I confess right at the outset, I'm challenged by that. So I think this is a helpful passage we can all benefit from and want to dig in together. So if you're not there, turn to the text that was just read for us, Colossians chapter 1. And I want to begin by rereading the first two verses, verses 3 and 4. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. So so here Paul says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Note the always. We always thank God when we pray for you. And if you read the rest of the prayer, you recognize he prays for them a lot. Now, this always is helpful. It's challenging. It's helpful. Uh, This always makes it clear this is not a one and done kind of prayer. This is not the typical American evangelicalism, could you pray for me? Sure, let's pray right now so I don't forget, and then never pray about it again. That's better than not praying, okay? But it's not that. That's not what he's saying. It's not a whiplash sort of prayer where you bow your head and as quickly as you start to give thanks, you think, did I leave my notebook in my office? It's not that. Paul prays for these Colossians consistently. Uh, they're, they're, they're regulars on his prayer agenda. And when he prays for them, he says he always gives thanks to God for them. Which leads to the next point. Paul's never even met these people in person. He's never met the Colossians. Just, just read through the text. Epaphras was the church planter here. Epaphras was the one who evangelized people in Colossae and brought them together in a local church and then tells Paul about what's going on. He's never met them, and yet he's regularly praying for them. And this challenges me. This is the kind of thing that, again, I think should spur us on to love and good deeds. I don't know about you, but I would say we probably, many of us, find it difficult to pray even for one another. On a, on a consistent basis. And the Apostle Paul here is modeling for us, praying for people he's never even met on a regular basis. I, I think in terms of our gospel partners, right? I think this is a great teaching for us and thinking about our gospel partners that, that, by the way, many of us have never met in person, at least with, with a lot of them. But I want to grow in giving thanks for people like this. I mean, take, take Bill and Kelly Housley for a minute. Now, these are our gospel partners in Papua New Guinea. And they left everything, I think in 2003, if I remember correctly, they left everything, and they moved to Papua New Guinea to a climate that nobody wanted to go to. Everybody was going, people who were going to Papua New Guinea were going to the tribes up in the mountains where it's cooler. They're down in the valley where it's hot and humid all the time. Nobody wanted to go there. They go wheeling into a people group that nobody knew the language, including them. 
After they learned the language, they were the first Westerners in the entire world to know this particular language. So they show up and they build a little hut and they live among these people and they learn their language. That took time. I believe that was a two-year process. And after that investment, uh, the folks that they were ministering to didn't even have a written language. So they took English characters and they started working on how they could put their words into a written form, and then they started teaching the people their own language, simultaneously teaching them chronological Bible story, right? So from Genesis to Revelation, they're showing them how everything's pointing to Christ, and, and, and by God's grace, as they pour years and years of their life into these folks, over time they see multiple tribes come to faith in Christ, so many of them, right? And, and what's so cool is now you have leaders from tribes going and helping plant other churches. And, and now Bill is finishing, handing them the New Testament in their own language. That's amazing. Like, that is stunning kind of work, the kind of work we want to be thanking God for. Like, entire tribes coming to faith in Jesus and their lives being radically changed. Oh, that's not to say it's all easy and glorious. You know, they, they've seen a number of folks that, you know, looked like they were believers for a time and then walked away. And they, they've walked through all the stuff that we walk through in a local church. But the, the work is stunning. I want to thank God for that. Or how about Seminario Reformado Latin Americano, SRL, the ministry that we support in Latin America specifically in Medellin, Colombia. You know, if you know anything about Latin America, Christianity basically works itself out in two forms. By the way, Christianity would be in sort of air quotes, right? You've got the Roman Catholicism that is a huge swath of Latin America, and then you've got this ever-growing prosperity gospel. And in the middle of Roman Catholicism and prosperity, you've got this little seminary that was started a few years ago by a guy named Noe Acosta, who said, we want to bring the Reformation to Latin America. And, and they start equipping young men and, and sending them out into existing churches to revitalize and to, to plant churches. And, and lo and behold, men and their families start coming even from other countries in, in, in Latin America saying, we want the same thing that you're teaching there and, and taking it back to other countries. And now there's even satellite campuses in other countries. There's so much to be thanking and praising God for. How about Andy Johnson, our most recent gospel partner, planting a church in Turkey, the gospel in Turkey. Oh, we want to pray for perseverance and, and pray for some of the hardships that are there, but let us not forget to thank God that they're planting a church and people are coming and the gospel's at work in Turkey. And we could go on and on with each one of our gospel partners if we had more time. Paul says he always thanks God for these Colossians that he's never even met. Then he goes on and tells us why. Tells us why he thanks God for them. We see that in verse 4. Look back at the text. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because, here's the why, because we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. 
Paul regularly prays and regularly gives thanks for the Colossians because Epaphras has told him about their faith in the Lord Jesus. He thanks God because they're now trusting in Christ alone for their salvation. Think about it. They were pagans. Now they're trusting in Jesus. And he thanks God for this because God is the author of our faith. If someone believes in Jesus, to be sure there's a place to be thankful for the messenger. We'll get to that towards the end. Praise God that he leads people to be thankful. Praise God, Paul's going to tell us, for Epaphras. You can look down at verse 7. But, but, but our thanks, he starts here, because ultimately and finally falls squarely on God who is the author of salvation. Right? We've, we've been going through Ephesians. Remember Ephesians 2, for by grace you've been saved through faith, he says, and that, that that is the faith, that is not your own doing. It, the faith, is a gift of God not as a result of work so that no one may boast. God and God alone is the author of our salvation and thus we thank him for the faith of the Christian. Moreover, not only does Paul thank God for the Colossians' faith, look, look, look what else he thanks God for. He thanks God for the, for the love they have. And, and note what kind of love they have. It's, it's a love, he says, for all the saints. In other words, he thanks God for the love they have for other Christians. And thus, once again, we see the New Testament highlighting this category that we often refer to as the love of the brethren. And this love for our brothers and sisters in Christ is so important because the New Testament holds it out there for us as one of the most clear identifying marks of true faith. Think about John in his first epistle. That, that, that little letter is known for tests, right? The we know by this, by this we know kind of thing. In 1 John 3, the apostle John says, we know, so this is one of his tests, we know we have passed over from death into life because we have our devotions in the Greek. No. Because we tithe. No. Because, he says, we love the brethren. We know. We, we can test whether or not this, this regeneration has happened. That's, that's just being dead and moved over into life. We know that we've crossed over from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Jesus himself told us in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And he says, and it's by this that all people will know you're my disciples. So, so note what's happening. Paul's thanking God for evidences of God's grace. He's thanking God for their faith and for their love of the brethren because their love of the brethren so clearly demonstrates the reality of their faith. When we come to genuine saving faith in Christ, God's spirit comes to dwell within us. And one thing the New Testament consistently tells us that he does in our lives is he gives us a newfound love for Christ and his church. We love being around other believers. We're new creations in Christ. We have the spirit of God dwelling in us and we love others who have that same spirit growing within them. We, we love being around his body. We love those who are willing to lay down their lives for us and we're willing to lay down our lives for them. And by the way, this most clearly works itself out in the local church. And here we see Paul. He, 
he hears about the faith of the Colossians. And he, and he hears about their love for one another. And it's as though he says, ah, oh, yes, this is, the, this is the real deal. And he gives thanks to God. Thanks to God for their faith and the corroborating evidence of their love for one another. And as you continue to follow the flow of Paul's thanksgiving, we see that he thanks God for their faith and their love, and that he says that both of these are based upon their hope in the gospel, which he'll then go on to explain how it has worked itself out among them and indeed all over the world. Look back at the text. It says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we've heard of your faith in Christ and the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it's bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and the truth. Now what's going on here? Honestly, this is one of those texts where the syntax is kind of challenging, right? The wording here. This is one long sentence from verse 3 all the way down to verse 8. And so it's a little bit challenging, but I think the basic flow of thought is clear. Here, here's kind of the flow. He says, we always thank God for you. Why? Because of your faith and because of your love for the brethren. Both of which, he says, are based upon the gospel. How would I get that? Well, he says, faith and love have their foundation in the hope laid up for you in heaven, which is, of course, our sure hope of eternity with God. He says, you heard of this hope in the word of truth, and, and, he, and he ties that together with the gospel. Thus, we can say that he thanks God for their faith in Christ and their love of the brethren, which are both based upon the gospel itself. And then in verses 6 through 8, he goes on to demonstrate how the gospel is flourishing both among the Colossians and all over the world. So the flow of thought is pretty straightforward, but we want to drill down on some of the specifics. The Colossians' faith in Christ and love of the brethren is based upon the hope that's laid up for them in heaven. And this word hope here is not speaking of hope the way we often speak of hope. It's not an attitude of hoping something might happen, right? If you were to watch a football game this afternoon or, or, or maybe go to a ball game, you might say something before the game like, man, I really hope my team wins. And that hope, coupled with, you know, 20 bucks will buy you a Coke and a hot dog at the, at the game. But that's about all it'll get you. The, the hope spoken of here, by the way, this is the common New Testament usage, is a sure and confident hope. Here, hope describes something that's already there, but we just haven't received it yet. Sort of like an heir waiting for his inheritance. The only thing, you know, keeping those two apart is just time. It's a sure thing. It's just not yet. Great parallel passage is 1 Peter 3, or 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. There he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection 
of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. Notice the link between hope and inheritance. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. By the way, that kept is being kept by God. So God is keeping that inheritance for you. And Peter goes on, it's kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded. So notice both the hope and you are being guarded so that you make it to the end, so that those two things come together. He says, who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. See, that is a sure hope. And that's the hope Paul's talking about in Colossians 1. It's a hope laid up for us in heaven that no one can touch. No one can take it away. It's the sure and glorious hope of the gospel that will dwell for all eternity in the presence of God. And Paul says, of course, you've heard all of this before, alluding to them hearing the gospel from Epaphras. You've heard it all before in the word of truth, which is the gospel, he says. So the sure hope, the word of truth, and the gospel are all getting at the same thing here. And I need to just stop for a second because this is too good to pass up. I want to pause and just speak to any who might be here this morning who aren't yet trusting in this who don't have this sure hope yet. Paul speaks of a sure hope laid up for the believer. And when we think about who God is, holy, righteous, good, no sin at all, and when we think about who we are, sinners, been rebelling against God from the very beginning, When we think about these things, we should be stunned that anyone can have this sure hope of dwelling in the presence of God. But see, God in his grace has made a way. What we deserved, and we always need to be clear on this, what we deserved is God's wrath. But John tells us, for God so loved the world that he dispatched his unique son, the Lord Jesus, who came to save those who would believe in him. He came to live the life we could never live. He went to the cross where he bore the punishment, every single bit of it, for everyone who would believe so that we can have fellowship with God and we can have this sure hope of being with him for all eternity. And so, friend, If you're here this morning and you've not trusted in Christ, I would plead with you, look to Jesus. Look to Christ even today. For those who trust in Christ, one of the glorious promises of this gospel is that we have this glorious inheritance waiting on us. Those of us who are in Christ by his grace have this glorious hope laid up for us. And it's all because of this glorious gospel. And in verse 6, Paul goes on to describe the way the gospel works itself out. He does so by way of comparison. And this comparison, if you're reading the whole book of Colossians, almost certainly has a polemical purpose to it because if we were studying this book, one of the things we'd have to have a conversation about is what's the false teaching he's dealing with because it's clear he's dealing with a false teaching. And, and in short, one of the big things that you would have to say is these false teachers are saying Christ alone is not quite sufficient. Christ is good but not 
completely sufficient. The gospel isn't sufficient. And thus in verse 6, Paul makes the point that the gospel has been working miraculously in the lives of the Colossians since the very first day they heard and believed. And this gospel is the power of God for salvation. This gospel transforms people from the inside out. And thus Holy Scripture is teaching us that the gospel itself bears fruit and multiplies, not only in local areas, but all over the world. And this bearing fruit and increasing, and this is one of those where I'd love to just spend like a day on, this bearing fruit and increasing is almost certainly an echo of the Old Testament language where God commands his people to be fruitful and multiply. And just as God spread the entire human race through Adam and Eve, which found preliminary fulfillment, making the people of God found preliminary fulfillment in the nation of Israel, here Paul is saying, God is fulfilling his purposes in forming the people of God through the gospels bearing fruit and multiplying, not only in particular areas, but all over the world as he's calling out a people for himself from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And I think we can find great encouragement in this, brothers and sisters. Paul's emphasis on the gospel bearing fruit and multiplying among you and in all the world would have reminded the Colossians in that first instance, and as we study this word together, should remind us that we're part of something much bigger than us. In the first instance, the gospel was at work, not only in Colossae, right? The Colossians were watching that, but Paul's saying it's not only here. It's happening in Rome and in Thessalonica and and Ephesus and all over the whole world, and so too for us. We're not concerned only with the gospel work in McKinney, but all over our region, indeed all over the world, which again is why we're excited to have gospel partnerships all over the world. Yes, to be sure, we want to focus where God has sovereignly placed us. To the best of my knowledge, unless you're here visiting for Thanksgiving, which by the way, if you are, welcome, delighted you're here, but For the rest of us, we live in McKinney or Anna or Melissa or Allen or somewhere surrounding, you know, this this area. And, And we trust that God has sovereignly placed us there to be on mission where we are, right? So so that's important. We want to take that seriously. But we also are called by the New Testament to have lenses that go beyond that, aren't we? We're to have a bigger vision for what the gospel is doing, which is why we want to partner with those who are taking the gospel all over the world, which we have such a glorious opportunity to do. Time is short. We've got to press on. Paul wraps up his thanksgiving as he turns from the message of the gospel to the messenger who brought the gospel to the Colossians. Look at verses 7 through 8. He's talking about the gospel. He says, Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Remember, this is still part of Paul's thanksgiving section. And here he's filling out what he's already told us, right? He said, you've heard the truth and all of that. Now it finally comes clear. Oh, yeah, they heard all of this from Epaphras. And so here, Paul wants to highlight the human messenger without whom none of his giving thanks in this section 
would have been possible. And don't miss that he speaks of Epaphras in glowing terms. Again, probably trying to highlight his trustworthiness over against the false teaching there in Colossae. He says that Epaphras is a beloved fellow servant. He's a fellow slave. Or last week we talked about this idea of slavery and Paul's favorite term for himself is a bondservant, a slave of Christ. Well, Epaphras, he says, is a fellow slave of Christ with Paul. His connection to Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, reminds the hearers that his message can be trusted over and against the false teachers who are saying Jesus isn't sufficient. Right? The false teachers are saying, you need other stuff. And Paul's saying, no, you heard the unadulterated gospel through our beloved servant, Epaphras, a faithful minister on your behalf. And thus his words can be trusted. It's this very Epaphras, Paul says, who told us about your faith and your love of the brethren that's been brought about by the power of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, because of Epaphras, because of his work, we thank God for you. Again, where we started, we always thank God for you. Paul and his traveling companions heard about the faith of the Colossians and their love for the brethren that were both based upon their hope in the gospel and thus They gave thanks. They gave thanks to God always. Every time they pray for them, they they thank God for his work in their midst. And as we said at the outset of the sermon, I think God's word here should spur us on in the realm of giving thanks to God for his work in the lives of other believers. Admittedly, if you're anything like me, that's probably not what comes most naturally. It's probably not the first thing on your list in your prayer closet. So I thought we could end our time thinking about a few ways to cultivate thankfulness, ways that we can exercise the thanksgiving muscles, right? People go to the gym and exercise. I think we wanna exercise our thanksgiving muscles. And so I have, I have six ways that I think we can cultivate thankfulness. I'm sure there's a 100 others, but here's six to consider. Number one. Number one, confess your lack of thankfulness. This might not be everybody, but for some of us, we might need to start here, right? Just make it clear. Put it out there before the Lord. Perhaps it's been a hard season for you. Perhaps it's been a season where you've found yourself crying out for help and Thanksgiving hasn't even been on your mind. Perhaps it's just been a busy season, right? For whatever reason, Thanksgiving has not been a big part of your prayer life, begin with confessing that. Number two, number two, I would say we need to get over ourselves, right? We may need to ask God to help us get over ourselves. And to be thankful for God's work in other people's lives, we have to look beyond us. And I think a lot of times we can be so self-centered that we can't see past ourselves, right? We want to ask God, help me to see others. Yes, (laughs) don't get me wrong here. We want to pray for ourselves. We need to pray for ourselves. But it's just going beyond that. Leads to number three, ways we can cultivate thankfulness. Spend time with other 
brothers and sisters in Christ. To me, this is one of the just wonderful things about fellowship, right? When you spend time with other brothers and sisters in Christ and they're talking about the ways that God's working in their lives and you're sharing ways that God's working in in your life, there's this mutual delight, right? There's this mutual thanksgiving. I, I walk out of times with my brothers and sisters just feeling thankful. Thankful for who God is. Thankful for what he's doing. Oh, yes, Lord, you are at work. My brother was just sharing about what you've been doing in his life. This is why fellowship is so important. Closely related to that, number four, listen and look for evidences of God's grace. Remember Paul thanked God for the Colossians and their love. We want to listen for those. We want to look for those. And when we see those, well, I think it's, you know, wonderful to call them out. Brother, I, I see the Lord, you know, working in your life in this way. What, what an encouragement. But, but let's go beyond that and, and take those to the Lord. Lord, thank you so much for the way that you're working in my brother's life. Thank you so much for the way that you're working in my sister's life. I think Paul models that for us over and over again. I would, I would direct your attention to 1 Corinthians 1. If you know anything about the, the church in Corinth, you know it was probably the hardest church Paul had to deal with, and yet the first chapter, he's thanking God for evidences of grace in their lives, right? We want to look for those, rejoice in those, thank God for those. It leads to my next point, and that is have a focused time for Thanksgiving in your prayer life. You might think in terms of however you want to do it, but you might think in terms of, Lord, I want to make sure that I'm giving thanks before asking you for more stuff, right? I want to thank you for what you've already done. I want to thank you for the prayers you've already answered. I want to thank you for the way that you're working in other people's lives. And yes, Lord, I do still need help. Those two things go together. But if we want to be thankful people, we want to set time aside to give thanks. And the last thing that I would put before you is pray through our church directory. Here, here I'm speaking very specifically to members. You know, Andrew has made this even easier than ever. Used to, I'd want to pray through my directory, and there were times where I'd be scrambling around trying to find my hard copy directory, and I couldn't find it, and so, you know, it is, it is what it is. And now, it's on that little thing that all of us carry around in our, in our pocket with the, with the app. Maybe pull that out and think about, I'm going to pray through five families a day or whatever the case might be. But use that app to be reminded, oh yeah, this, this sister is so hospitable. Lord, I thank you for that. It was such a joy getting to go over and spend time with them. Oh, this brother serves so faithfully in the church. Thank you for that. Another area where I think this is so helpful is if you come across people in that directory that you don't know well enough to recognize evidences of grace in their life. Maybe take that as a spurring on to get to know that person, to get to know them so that you can know better how the Lord is at work. I would also encourage us to grow in praying for our gospel partners. We're going to be adding our gospel partners to that app. It's just a reminder, you know, even as Paul prayed for the Colossians who he's never met, we want to pray for our gospel partners 
They're doing hard work, laying their lives on the line. We want to thank God for them, thank God for what he's already done, and continue to pray for them. Brothers and sisters, this is an area where we want to grow. We want to be a thankful people. How can we not, right? We're all sinners who have been redeemed by the grace of God. And so we want to be a church that gives thanks to God regularly. We want to be a church that looks for evidences of God's working. And when we see them, we want to be a church that stops and thanks God, genuinely thanks God. We have a great, marvelous Savior who is actively at work in our midst. We want to thank him for that. And we want to thank him for the work that he's doing here and all over the world. So let's pray and let's thank God for who he is and what he's done. Father, we do thank you for your grace. Father, I pray that you would grow us as a thankful people. Lord, remind us daily of the gospel. Even as we're about to sing, Lord, your blood has washed away our sin. Jesus, thank you. Lord, help us be thankful for the gospel. And help us to be thankful as we watch and see the entailments of the gospel working themselves out in the lives of our brothers and sisters. And Lord, we pray all of this for your glory, for we know that as we are giving thanks to you, you are glorified and honored, and we want to do just that. So we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.